morning and welcome to our worship service this morning at First Church. For those listening on radio, the music prelude this morning was done by our pianist, Sharon Cheney. We thank you, Sharon. have several announcements before we start our service this morning. I want to thank all the around 50 volunteers who showed up Wednesday for the Agape Service Project. It was a wonderful turnout for a worthwhile cause. Everybody is invited to a mission trip fundraiser luncheon on Sunday, August 6th. Following the service that day, we'll have a German lunch of bratwurst and sauerkraut, German potato salad, and also homemade German chocolate cake you can eat in or carry out. That day also, Kathy and Doug McLean, who serve as missionaries in Germany, will be with us. They will share about their ministry and how they use the 3C project building and talk about its progress. And also, exactly one year ago today, Pastor Joel's first official Sunday as our new senior pastor and the beginning of the Buckland ministry here in New Knoxville. The flowers you notice on the altar this morning are for his wife, Allie, and daughter, Josephine, to celebrate their first year here. And now at this moment, I'd like to have Michelle Dillon come forward and say a few words. Michelle was the chairman of the search committee at that time. Well, on behalf of First Church, we would like to say... um, Happy first year anniversary, and we're so thankful for what God has done this past year, and we look forward to what he's going to do in the years to come. So congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Allie and Josephine are here. They're just down in the nursery this morning, so make sure we get the flowers for them. So thank you all. Thank you very much for the recognition. I was not expecting that this morning, so thank you. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship, which is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to them whose God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please remain standing as we sing our opening hymn this morning, number 195, Nothing But the Blood.
as the children come forward for the children's chat with Mrs. Lambers. Please take a moment and greet one another. She can say good morning a lot louder than that. Good morning. Way to go, girls. We got one lonely boy up here. Well, I think you're over halfway through to when school starts again, huh? Yay? Boo? Well, that's 20% of you. Yay. Good for you. Have you all been keeping up on uh, reading and stuff this summer? Yeah, well, I know of some. A um, little shrug of the shoulders. Hmm. Well, you know, we can, you know, we need to learn in the summer, too, don't you think? If you had a great big book and you read that book this summer, great big book, and you remembered everything, wouldn't you be really smart? Yeah, you might be really, really smart. But would you be wise? Do you know the difference between being smart and being wise? We're going to hear about the right kind of wise. Who's the smartest person in your house? Daddy. Daddy? Mom. Mom? Who's the smartest person in your house? Nobody? I know I'm the smartest person in my house. Oh, you are the smartest. Who's the wisest person in your house? You are? Well, you can be smart. You can have a lot of stuff up in your head, but that doesn't make you wise. To be wise, you have to know how to use the stuff in your head. That's the difference. You can be really smart, have a lot of knowledge, but sometimes you don't know what to do with it. And then it's almost useless, isn't it? Just about useless. Well, you know, there's people who know a lot about Jesus, a lot about God and Jesus and his love. But you know what? When they go out and they're among other people and they're doing their thing, they don't know how to use that. They don't know how to show that love. So they're not very wise. You need to be wise in how you do your everyday stuff with your friends, with your family. And if you use correctly the things that Jesus has taught us, then you are wise. You need to put them into practice. So if you do them every day, and some people it takes them till they're 90-some years old before they come wise. And some people that are real little become wise because they're kind to others and live the way Jesus wants them to live. You remember the wise men and the foolish men who built their houses? One built it on a rock. What happened to it when it rained? No, the one on the sand went into the ocean, didn't it? Because it didn't have... The one on the rock stayed because he used the knowledge wisely and built his house up where it wouldn't wash away. But the foolish man didn't use his knowledge and it washed away. That's right. So let's think about that today. Let's think about whether you're smart or if you're wise. And that's using the things God's taught us in your everyday life. Let's say a prayer. Dear Jesus, we want to know what you've taught us. But more importantly, we want to have the wisdom to take what you taught and put it into practice every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Now that I've had a moment to think <laughs> after... Uh, the kind, uh, kind words from Michelle, and, and I just want to just say, uh, just thank you for letting me be your pastor uh, for this past year. Um, I had some time to think this week uh, when I was at my conference in Pittsburgh uh, about the last year, and I just appreciate that you all as a church uh, welcomed me in um, and gave me this opportunity uh, to serve you and to serve uh, New Knoxville in this way. Um, Being my first ever senior pastor position, there was a big learning curve, and I'm still on that learning curve. Uh, But I appreciate all that you have done for me and all the support that you have shown me and my family, and uh, just so grateful for this opportunity. Um, And and like I said, I I appreciate your 
your support and your grace as I've, uh, as I've kind of stepped in this position, and I look forward to continuing to serve alongside you and serve this community uh, for God and, and His glory. So thank you for the recognition. I was not expecting it this morning, so uh, just thank you so much. That really meant a lot to me and, and, and our family, so thank you. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, I am just so grateful uh, that you have placed me and my family here in this community, in this church, Lord, uh, to serve here to serve alongside these wonderful people and in this community. Uh, Lord, it is all part of your plan. And, and uh, Lord, sometimes, uh, Lord, uh, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to, to follow you where you call us to go. But, Lord, just thank you for, that you've brought us here and brought us to this place. And, Lord, I, th- I pray that as we move forward together as a church, as a community, that you would uh, just continue to bless us, continue to guide us, and help us to, to go in the direction you'd have us to go. Uh, Lord, I pray and thank you for the many, many uh, displays of support uh, that, that have been shown to us over the last year. And, and just am so grateful for, for all that you've done through, through this church and through this community to show us that support. Uh, and I pray that, that we would be able to come together as a church, be able to move forward into the future you have for us, and, and seek to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, um, as you call us to do. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here and to, to come to you in prayer this morning. I pray that you would uh, just be with all of the names on the list and all of the various concerns and burdens that we carry in here with us this morning. Uh, Lord, we come to you with the knowledge that, that you offer, Lord, uh, the opportunity to pray and to lay those burdens at your feet. And Jesus, you say that we can take up your oak, your yoke, which is easy, um, and we can find rest for our souls. And so we are thankful for that rest that you provide for us, the peace in the midst of the storm, Lord, that you provide, um, that only you can provide. Uh, I pray that for each one of the, the situations, Lord, that are on our hearts and minds, that you would provide exactly what is needed. And above all, Lord, help us to, to see that you never leave nor forsake your children. And that's a promise that we can hold on to even in the most difficult times. We pray thee all of these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I will invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Our offering this morning goes to support the ministries of two, uh, two missionaries that we support. Uh, and, and Sue Leffel will be blessing us with uh, some special music during this time. His eye is on the sparrow.
remain standing for the reading of God's word. The scripture reading for today comes from James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. But is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, 
There you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Please turn to number 382 and join us in singing, Be Thou My Vision. started today in God's Word, I just want to extend a thank you uh, to you um, for your graciousness after last week. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are here with us or listening on the radio, you know that I was struggling with my voice and was not really able to uh, speak very well, very clearly, and especially for very long. Um, didn't get to to preach as uh, to all, all that I meant to preach that morning, but um, I just want to say thank you for all of the the kind words and, and prayers and graciousness that you extended to me um, after the service and, and over the next couple of days, it really meant a lot to know that uh, even though I wasn't 100% or wasn't all uh, all there that morning, um, you extended your, your grace towards me. And so I appreciate that very much. A couple of just things I want to mention. There was one person who, who I spoke to immediately after the service, and they were a little concerned. They said, man, you are so red in the face. Do you have a fever or something? I said, no, I think I'm just really embarrassed. Um, standing up there and trying to talk and not being able to get anything out. Uh, uh, but then I was talking to Tori uh, late this past week, and she said, yeah, I really appreciated the part where you just kind of looked down and said, I don't know if I can do this. And she said, man, it, it, you know, it showed that you were actually human. And I said, it took you a year to figure that out, that I was actually human? I've been hiding it pretty well. I don't know. But, um, but it, was a, it was a humbling experience, uh, but it was also um, a good experience because of the, the grace that you extended to me. And I just really appreciate that and just very thankful uh, for that. And obviously you can tell I'm doing a lot better already this week. So thank you very much. Um, the, quite ironically, the text last week was on the power of words, and I was up here struggling with that. Uh, but, but one of the things that I, was, uh, that, I, that I mentioned last week 
uh, whether you could hear it or not, uh, was that, that our words should be used to lift each other up instead of tear each other down. And so um, I guess that was a great example of that last week that you extended to me, that of the, the way that you, you built me up and encouraged me even in the midst of, of that. So I appreciate that, and thank you for being the sermon that I couldn't exactly preach last week um, towards me. So thank you very much. Let's, let's pray together as we uh, look at the passage that God has in store for us today. Father, thank you. Um, for this, this church family that you've surrounded me with and, and this community. And Lord, I just appreciate the, the kindness and the encouragement and the grace that they extended to me last week and in the days following the sermon. Uh, and just am grateful that, that they uh, supported me and lifted me up even in the midst of, of those struggles with my voice. So uh, thank you for the, that they were the sermon, Lord, that I was trying to preach last week and, and extended that grace to me. I pray now that as we turn to your word for this week, that you'd continue to, to teach us and guide us. I pray your spirit would be present here in, in, in helping us to understand your word. And I pray that you'd open, us, open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So as you heard from Carolyn's children's chat, which by the way, I think they have been doing an excellent job. Uh, whoever's been up here the last several weeks have been doing an excellent job with those children's chats. Sometimes I feel like, okay, I guess I don't need to preach my sermon now because they do such a great job with it and a great way of explaining to the children. But as, as Carolyn pointed out today, we're going to be talking about wisdom and, and specifically the right kind of wisdom. In the passage that we have before us, uh, James spells out two different kinds of wisdom, uh, one that he calls more an earthly wisdom and one that, that I would call a godly wisdom or the right kind of wisdom. And so James here uh, begins by, in a sense, kind of calling out uh, people in the church. Remember, he's writing to, to Christians. He's writing to people within the Christian community. And he asks them this question, question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In a sense, he's kind of calling them out. And it's actually kind of similar to, to how the last week's passage started. If you remember all the way back to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow brothers, and my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In a sense, he's kind of beginning each one of these sections by kind of calling out, in a sense, the leadership of the church. Um, I'm not saying that this passage only applies to leaders in the church. I believe that James has something here to say last week as well as this week to all believers, all people. But in a sense, he's kind of calling out people who would want to put themselves in that leadership position. And he's doing so in order to get them to kind of think about themselves and their faith and how they stand in relationship to the Lord. Um, In a sense, he's kind of saying many people claim to be wise, but let me show you what true wisdom looks like. You may think you're wise. You may think you have it all together. You may think you have a a pretty solid understanding about spiritual matters, but this is what it should look like. And so what what James is doing is he's, he's forcing the community he's writing to, but he's also forcing us to examine ourselves. Are we really prepared to be teachers? Are we using our words in the right way to build people up and lift people up and encourage them in the Lord? That was last week. Now this week he's saying, do you have the kind of wisdom that godly people should have? And there's a, a, a distinction that he makes between this earthly kind of wisdom and the godly wisdom. And the distinction is that this earthly wisdom is, is self-centered. Earthly wisdom puts themselves first. It says it's full of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Those are things that, that creep into someone's life when they're at the center of their own universe, right? But godly wisdom, he says, is defined by humility. It's by putting others first, by putting Christ first. And so that's the distinction that he's making here. And so the question he's asking us to examine is, are we displaying that kind of wisdom? Not just if you want to be a leader in the church, but for all Christians, for all people who claim to follow Christ, are we displaying the kind of wisdom in our lives that should be there because of what God has done for us? And so he says here, in a sense, that wisdom is proven It says here, through good deeds done in humility. Wisdom is not measured, as Carolyn so so wisely pointed out, uh, it's not measured by our our information that we have in our head. It's not uh, based on how many theology textbooks we've read or how many classes at seminary or college you've taken. True 
godly wisdom is not measured by the information that we have, but by its practical application. In other words, knowledge um, is about information. Knowledge is about accumulating ideas and thoughts in your head. But wisdom is about how to apply that information that you have. So you can be the smartest person in the world, but have no wisdom because you don't know how to take that information and apply it to something in real life. Remember when I was growing up, I was always, I was always accused of being someone who had a lot of book smarts, but not a lot of street smarts, right? You guys probably all understand the difference there, right? You can have a lot of book smarts, you can know a lot of stuff, and you can have a lot of information stored in my head. Ali says that I am like full of useless information. I have so many facts stored up there, right, that don't necessarily apply to real life, but they're all floating around up there. So someone like myself who is accused of having a lot of book smarts can still not have a lot of street smarts. And what do we mean by street smarts? I mean, how do we apply that knowledge to everyday real life? Right? How do we take what we know in our head and live it in such a way that it makes sense and is applicable to a given situation? And so, in, in a sense, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is like having book smarts, but wisdom is being able to have that street smarts, that, I, that ability to actually live out what we know in a way that makes sense and is consistent. This isn't, for, for those of us who have been here week to week and studying the book of James together, this idea shouldn't be new to us because it's the same sort of idea he's, he was talking about between faith and works. Right? Faith is just more than believing something in particular about God, but it's about, about trusting it, about living it out, actively living it out each and every day. So just as faith without deeds is dead, he says in James chapter 2, um, we can kind of say that, that knowledge without application or wisdom without application is dead too. Right? We need to take what we know, especially about God and who he is in our lives, and apply that or else it's not really making a difference. It's just knowledge and doesn't become wisdom. And so wisdom is good deeds done in, done in humility. He talks about good deeds or good conduct. This is, in other words, it's, it's righteousness. It's doing the right thing uh, based on wisdom, based on the knowledge we have of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, encourages us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I think that's such a great picture of what wisdom, what godly wisdom looks like in our lives, where people can, can see the way that you're living. And they may not always agree with you, right? They may not agree with everything you have to say, but they see the way you're living. And it makes such an impact on them that, they, that they're, in a sense, pointed to God. They can see God through your actions and through the way you live your life. That's what godly wisdom looks like. It's, it's the knowledge of God we have lived out in such a way that people can see it and in, in, in doing so, they're pointed to God. It's consistent. In other words, I would say that, that godly wisdom is consistent, faithful obedience to God. It goes right along with what James is talking about with faith. It's about not just knowing who God is, but living it out each and every day. And so wisdom is not just good conduct, though. It's not just about doing the right thing in the right situation, but it's about doing it with humility as well toward God and toward others. In that day and age, humility was not exactly a prized characteristic. Humility wasn't something that, that people strive for. It was often seen as weak. It was, seen as, it was not seen as a characteristic that good, strong, noble people had. Um, but we see a different, uh, different story, I guess you can say, in the New Testament. Jesus modeled a, a kind of humility that was not weak. Right? It, was, it was not weak, but it was strong because he was choosing himself to, to, to humble him. He was choosing to humble himself. And when you choose to humble yourself, it's different than being a pushover, right? When, when you're a pushover, you're just going at the whim of the culture or the whim of the crowd. You get pushed back and forth. Whichever direction the crowd's going is the direction you go. That's what a pushover does. But a humble person, someone who has humility, chooses to submit, chooses to be submissive. Does that make sense, the difference there? And so Christ modeled that for us in his own life. He submitted to the Father. And Philippians 2 teaches us that he was humble and submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so Christian humility, what it looks like for us 
as Christians, as Christ followers, to be humble isn't just saying woe is me or, or being a pushover, but it's about understanding our position, mine and yours, as sinful creatures in relationship to a glorious and majestic God. In other words, God is holy and we are not. Right? And, and so having that proper perspective, having that proper attitude towards God is what humility is all about. It's recognizing that we're unable in and of ourselves to achieve our spiritual fulfillment. So much of what our culture teaches us today is just look inside yourself. Just be true to yourself. Just your happiness will be found within, right? You've all heard some form of that concept or another. We pick it up in movies and books we read. But what Christian humility teaches us is that, that it's not about looking into ourselves that we'll find fulfillment. It's about looking to Christ. It's about looking to Him. And in Him, we'll find fulfillment for ourselves, right? He will make us new creations. He will make us new. He will, we will, in Him, we'll be able to find the forgiveness that we long for. We'll be able to find the acceptance that we long for. And that is what will make us um, truly fulfilled. It's not looking in at ourselves, but looking to Christ and having Him meet our needs. And so humility toward God, understanding our position as sinners in need of a Savior, um, our humility towards God will then naturally lead to humility with others as well. Because if we're all sinners in need of a Savior, we realize that we're all in the same boat, right? We're all in this together. And so if we're all sinners in need of a Savior, if we all, apart from Christ, are lost, then it's a level playing field. Right? None of us are better than anyone else in, in terms of our sin because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need Christ as Savior or else we're lost. So that leads, you see how that leads to humility towards other people as well? I can no longer think of myself as better than someone else because I'm just as lost as they are without Christ. That's what, makes, that's what true humility looks like in the life of a Christian. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's what we should be doing as Christians. That's what it looks like to be truly humble towards God and others. To display godly wisdom in our lives. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But it's a calling to... to, to to live out our faith in such a way that we are um, humble towards God and towards others. And what James is talking about here, this concept of wisdom, isn't exactly new. You know, uh, Proverbs, the most famous book of wisdom in our, in our Bible, right, talks about wisdom coming from the Lord and, and what it does for us as well. Uh, it, it should lead then to good conduct and humility too. In Proverbs 1, chapter 7, it says that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, but fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. In chapter 2, verse 9, it teaches us that wisdom helps us to discern what is right and just. It says, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. And then finally, it, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20, teaches us that that godly wisdom, not only does it come from the Lord and helps us to see and distinguish between right and wrong, but it helps us to, to lead lives of active obedience to the Lord. It says, in other words, once you've learned these things, once you've gained knowledge of the Lord and applied it to your life, it says in 2.20, thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. So often scripture talks about walking or walking down a path as a way to describe uh, one's life or one's spiritual journey. And so to walk in the good and to keep to the paths of the righteous talks about that faithful, constant, active obedience to the Lord. doesn't mean we're not going to stumble every once in a while. It doesn't mean that we're not going to stray every once in a while. But it means that, that constant, active obedience to Him. That's what true godly wisdom looks like. So James here, he gives us a description of what that earthly or false wisdom looks like. And it's defined by two things, selfish ambition and bitter envy. Interesting, that's the, if, you, if you think about it, that's the opposite of that humility that we're talking about, right? Selfish ambition and bitter envy. Um, that, that means that you are the center of your thoughts, right? You are the center of your own universe. 
If you have selfish ambition, it's all about you trying to achieve something. It's all about you trying to get what you want. And bitter envy, right? That's, that's talking about jealousy. It's about wanting things that don't belong to you. Wanting things that you don't have uh, a say of say for yourself. And in both of those cases, either wanting more for yourself or wanting something that someone else has, in both of those cases, the focus is on you. The focus is on your own needs, your own desires, your own wants. And so that earthly wisdom then is characterized by a focus internally on ourselves. It's self-centered. And it doesn't think of God or doesn't think of others. And it says here that you shouldn't boast about it or deny it. I think those are often two, two responses that we have when we're confronted with sin in our lives. There's, a, there's people that tend to boast about it. Well, that's just the way I am, right? That's just who I am. And, 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 and kind of are proud, in a sense, of that sort of, of sinful behavior. Or in this case, that sort of self-centered kind of wisdom, right? Um, then there's the other kind of people who just deny it. Oh, that's not me. I don't struggle with that sort of thing, right? I'm perfect, right? We don't say those words maybe, but that's the attitude that we have. We either boast about it and pretend like it's not really a problem or not really an issue, or we deny it outright and say, that's not really, that's not really me. In both of those cases, we're, we're avoiding the truth. We're avoiding the issue. What God desires is not for us to be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered and other-centered. He desires us to not look just to fulfill our own needs, but look to the needs of others. And so by boasting or denying our self-centeredness, it's not helping us. Instead, we should boast and brag about knowing the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says this, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, we should, when we're confronted with the reality of our sin, when we're confronted with the reality of our self-centered nature, we shouldn't boast about it or deny it. Instead, we need to look to the Lord for help in that area. Ask Him to give us that godly wisdom that comes with good conduct and humility. And in doing so, we can brag about what He's done in our lives. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, You have been saved by grace through faith, right? Not by works so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God, right? We've been saved by faith. It's nothing that we can brag about. It's something that we can boast about. It's simply what God has done for us in our lives. And that is something that we can then be thankful for and, and tell others about. It's not about me. It's about him. And since that's what I want to stand up here and say, you know, uh, on the one-year anniversary of, of being here at the church, um, it's not about me. It's about him. You know, it's, it's about what he's doing in this church. And, and I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And I'm thankful to, that you are all a part of it as well. Um, and it's about what he's at doing um, doing here in New Knoxville and, and through the radio ministry. Um, it's just such a blessing to be, to be a part of that. So this godly wisdom in it itself is a gift from God. Um, it's not about the you know, accumulation of knowledge or information. It's simply the gift of God that he gives his people. And therefore it should lead to humility, not pride in ourselves. It says here that envy and selfish ambition then produce bad fruit or lead to, to bad things in our lives, leads to disorder, this sort of relational division and discord, both in our own lives and our personal relationships, but also in the church as well. You know, if all you're doing is thinking about yourself, if everything revolves around you and you're self-centered, the natural outcome of that, the natural consequence, is that all your other relationships are going to be damaged because of it. If everyone just thinks of themselves... We're no longer a church, we're just a group of individuals. Right? We're not a body of believers, we're just a, a bunch of individuals gathered together. And if we're only thinking of ourselves, then we'll just see other people as in our way or, or obstructing our path to our true happiness or true fulfillment. But if we have godly wisdom that thinks of others, that can help mend and, and restore those relationships. 
Again, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to step on each other's toes, but godly wisdom can help us to move past that and come to a reconciliation or some sort of agreement to move past the hurt. So disorder is bound to happen in churches when people pursue selfish ambition instead of the mutual good. It happens when preferences become priority. Right? We all have preferences, right? We all want things to be done a certain way. That's natural, right? But when we allow those things to become the priority, and then your preference is different than my preference, but if we both see those as a priority, you see how that can create division and discord? But if we both recognize things as preferences, as they should be, now there are certain things that are priorities, of course, God's word and standing on that. But if we see things as preferences, or excuse me, if we see things as priorities that are really preferences, you see how that can lead to to disunity? Because we're never going to agree on some of those secondary or tertiary issues. And so so if we all think of them as, as priority issues, it creates division. Instead, we should look to humi- with humility toward others. And it leads to every evil practice. Pride causes you to think of yourself above God and others. And to put yourself first leads to all sorts of idolatry. Idolatry is simply putting anything in the place that God deserves, whether that's yourself or others. And so if you're self-centered, if you're always thinking of yourself first, that leads to all sorts of other, other sins as well. And so instead, we need to have godly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from heaven. It's a gift from God, as I said, not by our own human efforts. And it's developed through our relationship with God, His Holy Spirit indwelling in us and seeking Him in prayer. It's Christ and other-centered instead of self-centered. It says that it's first of all pure. All these other things fall under that same sort of idea of, of purity, of innocence, of moral blameless. In James 1.27, he says that, that true religion keeps itself from being polluted by the world. And so pure is the opposite of that idea, remaining unpolluted by the world. It's very similar. These, these characteristics are very similar in a sense to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5.22-23. through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things are, are, are what comes out of a relationship with the Spirit, with, with the Lord. And so these characteristics that he lists here, being peace-loving, considerate, submissive, those things are the opposite of being selfishly ambitious and having bitter envy. Peace is especially needed in a divided community. Being submissive, as I mentioned, is similar to humility. It's, it's willing deference to others when, when it calls for that, when it allows for it. Looking to others' needs ahead of our own. Being full of mercy and good fruits, but living out your faith in a way that, it, that has practical implications. And being impartial and sincere. Impartial means to be undivided. Sincere, you're not playing a part. In other words, impartial and sincere people are people that you can trust. People that are stable and transparent. Peacemakers will experience and produce the conduct that uh, that characterizes this righteousness. It says that peacemakers will, people who sow in peace will then reap the benefits of that. So in other words, if, if these things look good to you, if you want to be peace-loving, if you want to be stable, if you want to be sincere, if you want to be impartial, if you want to be full of mercy and good fruits, the key to that is to sow in peace, to strive for that kind of wisdom that's described here. We want to seek godly wisdom. And as I mentioned, the way to do that isn't in ourselves. It's not about knowing our Bible more, or memorizing more verses, those sorts of things help. But that's just information. The key is then applying that and living it out each and every day. And my prayer for us is that we as a church will continue to grow in wisdom. That as we move forward and in the future together, we'll strive to have that kind of godly wisdom that is centered on Christ and others first and foremost, and not just on ourselves. That will be defined not by selfish ambition and bitter envy, but be defined by being peace-loving people, by being considerate and submissive, by being full of mercy and good fruits, by being sincere and impartial. Those are the kinds of things that I want First Church to be known for. Those are the kinds of things that I want to be known for. 
And so in order to do that, in order to, to have that kind of wisdom, it's not about trying to be better people, but it's about looking to God to help us to become those better people. It's not about trying to do it all ourselves by accumulating more knowledge. It's about asking God to, to transform our hearts and our minds to be more like that. I think of Solomon, King Solomon back in the Old Testament. He was uh, known for a lot of things, being immensely wealthy and, and building the first temple. But he's maybe most known for his, his prayer to the Lord. God said, God told him, ask for anything you want and I'll be, and it'll be given to you. Riches, power, fame, whatever. Solomon asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. And so my, I just want to close now in prayer and just ask God to grant us wisdom as a church. Wisdom for the leaders of the church. Wisdom for each one of us. Not earthly, selfish wisdom, but godly wisdom that looks to him and to others first and is characterized by these things. I don't think that we can really have the kind of wisdom that he wants us to have that's characterized here apart from prayer and apart from seeking him out in that way. So let's close in prayer. Let's, let's seek God together for that kind of wisdom for First Church. Father, thank you that you are here with us and that you invite us into a relationship with you. That if we are left to our own devices, Lord, we often fall into that, that earthly wisdom of being self-centered and self-focused. But instead, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would give us a spirit of godly wisdom. That you'd help us to be peace-loving people, sincere, impartial, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits. Lord, I pray that that is what First Church would be known for, and I pray that's what each one of us would be known for in our own lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in closing and sing, uh, Seek Ye First, first verse, number 42, in your blue hymnals. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.